Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I need everyone to say mashallah. It is like surprisingly cool in here, given the fact that it's 300 degrees outside. So now that we said that, the air conditioning is going to break. But no, mashallah, that's good. That's good stuff. Alhamdulillah. So we, you know, when we raise funds, you know, to replace the, the units, this building I think has eight. Uh, air conditioner units and they each weigh about I think six tons so they have to you know purchase them and ship them and then they have to actually rent a crane to lift them up to the ceiling to install them and they're like I think each one was like 39,000 or something crazy like that or like 50,000 I forget so all that all that fundraising if you have you guys been in here when it's hot yeah so like that fundraising like just that's what it did mashallah see money solves problems uh it also causes a lot of problems so just FYI, right? These are the little the details of how you know generosity can make, and this is where you know the the of charity, you know the ongoing charity of just giving and donating, and now anyone who sits in here who feels comfortable during a class or a lesson or a prayer in the masjid, uh, you know if you whatever you give or whatever you've given, uh, may Allah Taala make it in your scale. I mean, um, may Allah Taala give you a cool breeze in Jannah because of it, inshallah. Okay, so we are continuing now with our <coughs> discussion and study and reading of Surah Al-Kahf. And we are in the first section, we're in the first passage of the individuals within the chapter uh, known as Ashab Al-Kahf, those people who are known as the companions or the people of the cave. Uh, what did we talk about last week? Who can, who can remember or remind uh, everybody? Remember and remind. Anyone have any that they any things that they remember from last week? What themes did we kind of talk about in our conversation? Doesn't have to be in order. Doesn't have to be accurate. You can just make something up. Anyway, yeah. Hmm. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, very good, mashallah. So we talked about fitna and how uh, fitna, you know, the, the um, trials, tests, or, you know, uh, troublemaking, right, in, com in community uh, can be something that can destroy 
uh, you know, families and friends and communities and all that. And we talked about how argumentation is one of the signs of fitna, right? That people start arguing. It's really interesting, actually, because fitna is something that has like a magnetic pull. Whenever there's drama, people become very interested, right? So like, like uh-huh, right? Uh, yeah, no, it's real. I mean, I mean, literally, you know, if, if I, if, if we ask people like, hey, who can, who can help, you know, clean up after hard work, we might get a few hands. But if I was like, do I have a story for you guys, right? Everyone stays, right? People start showing up out of nowhere because there's something, Imam al-Ghazali actually says, he says that slandering, backbiting, riba, all that, there's like an appetite that the nafs has specifically for those things. And so ultimately, fitna is something that can draw people in and the Quran and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, they advise us to stay away. And in this, in this part of the surah, one of the interesting moments is that in a time of fitna, when these young men are trying to escape, right, the, the difficulties of their community and stay away from the stuff that they're being, uh, you know, almost forced to partake in, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the interesting uh, methods that Allah ta'ala uses to save them is that he causes them to fall asleep. And so when you look at the tafsir of the surah, you know, the question that the mufassirun they ask is like, why sleep? You know, he, Allah Ta'ala could have taken them to another place. He could have, there's a multitude, infinite of ways in which Allah could have protected them or, you know, saved them from this fitna. And one of the lessons that uh, one of the great scholars brings specifically is that he says that sometimes when you are surrounded by trouble, right, communal trouble, fitna, drama, sometimes the best thing you can do is just withdraw and be quiet. You don't always have to have an opinion on everything. And so the sleep is like a forced state of getting out of the situation. When Allah Ta'ala caused them to fall asleep, he caused them to be in a state where they weren't going to be able to go back and forth and themselves into further trouble. And so we talked about this. The other thing, subhanAllah, that was mentioned about the sleep, which we didn't have time to talk about last week, was that sleep is a time of rest. How many of you guys like sleep? Right, you look forward to some sleep, mashallah. Okay, you, you know when you sleep, the goal is that you feel recovered. Right after you sleep, you wake up and you feel rested. That's the goal. I know that depending on when you sleep and what's going on in your life, not all of your sleep might be like that. But the idea is that Allah Taala created sleep as a means of recovery for the human body. So it's interesting, Subhanallah, that Allah Taala uses the advent of sleep to remove these people away from fitna. And at the same time, we know that sleep is like a peaceful, it's a peaceful endeavor. It's not like chaotic, you know, it's not like running away or it's not like trying to hide. When you sleep, your body is at rest. It should be when your heart rate's the lowest, right? It should be when you're the most relaxed, all those things. So part of avoiding wrongdoing is that what? Allah Ta'ala will give you a state of sakina. Like when you avoid doing something wrong, you achieve a state of tranquility that cannot be achieved if you're involved in the wrong. If these guys just said, you know what, it is what it is. It's a matter of numbers. We're outnumbered. Everyone in the community is doing it. Everyone's doing it. We're the only people here. We're the outliers. Let's just go ahead and go to the festival. Let's go ahead and worship, whatever. Then these guys would have, in their concession, they would have maybe achieved what we call like fitting in. Right, they would have given up maybe like the 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 uh, what's the what's the word? They would have given up like the the uh, you know 
they would have em embraced the comfort of not sticking out, but they lost the tranquility of choosing what was right. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that when you choose what's right, you will achieve a state of sakina, and that sakina cannot be replicated. So interesting points uh, uh, brought up. Anyone else? What did we talk about last week? Anyone? Yeah. yeah. Good. Very good. Excellent, mashallah. So when they make dua to Allah, what did they ask Allah for? They needed something specifically. What did they need? They needed? What did they need? Well, no, specifically, what did they need? Protection. Like they needed safety. Like they were running away, right? And they needed all kinds of things, you know, provisions and food and sanctuary. They could have made dua for a numerous, you know, uh, a, a lot of things. They could have had a whole list. And instead of specifically mentioning everything, they said, oh, Allah, give us your mercy. Grant us your mercy, oh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allow us to have your mercy. That grant us your mercy. And oh Allah, as a result of your mercy, one of the manifestations of Allah's mercy is what? Good choices, good decisions, that Allah will guide you. You know, when, when, when you are, when a person is engaged in behavior that removes them from Allah's mercy, okay? Because Allah's mercy is there for everybody. This is a very important point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is available for everybody. It is not that Allah takes his mercy away, more so than it is that what? People remove themselves from the eligibility of that. Okay, so if somebody, for example, you know, if it's, if, it's, um, if it's sunny outside and people try to go and run away, they run into a building, right? Because they don't want to take on the sun. Allah's mercy is, it touches everything. But subhanAllah, when we remove ourselves from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Number one, we don't get the benefit of his mercy, which is could be a variety of things. And one of those things that he mentions here is that we make mistakes time and time again. So one of the ideas is that when you get Allah's mercy, you almost start to start making the right choices over and over and over again. Like your path is sort of being carved out for you. So these people, instead of trying to give themselves the autonomy and the authority to say, you know what? Oh, Allah, this is what we need, right? Submitting a list. Please give us these things. They said, oh Allah, you know what we need more than we even know. We could imagine it. We could try to like, you know, hypothesize. But in reality, oh Allah, you're the one that knows more. So I'm just going to ask you for mercy because in that ask, I'm going to get everything that you know I need. Right? An element of trust in making dua is necessary. Otherwise, the dua, it becomes more of like a, a request list than actually seeking and supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those good decisions come from that. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, we had a couple more. Yeah. Yeah, fitya. Yeah, he calls them youth. Very good, right? Excellent. Very good point. The idea that being a young person does not uh, excuse you from your relationship with Allah. Right. Like sometimes we think that being young, it's almost like how many of you get your blood work done annually? We have like 14 people right, in this room. OK. And just for those who are watching online, there's not 15 people. In this room, OK, so there's a small percentage of people. Right. But then there's going to be a stage of your life. There's going to be a stage of your life when you hit a certain in your, in your years where you're going to get your blood work done maybe once, maybe even twice a year. Right. Why do we technically feel like we don't have to do it? 
Why? What, what is the great delusion that we live in? Youth, exactly. Young people think they're healthy. How many of you guys have great plans for 20 years from now for yourself? You guys have things you want to accomplish in life, right? Have you ever thought that you might not make it? Is that like a comfortable thought to have? It's not very comfortable because it contradicts what the heart wants, which is what? I'm young, right? So young people, we tend to prioritize our what? When I say our, by the way, I mean like, you know, generally young, okay? Young people tend to prioritize their desires over what they need, right? So like what I want over what I need. These individuals, these young men, they had the tawfiq from Allah to prioritize what they needed over what they wanted. They prioritized Allah in that moment over anything else. And it was a difficult decision. It wasn't easy. Sometimes we think that if we prioritize Allah, Allah should make it easy for us, right? Like, oh, Allah, like, I'm praying. Like, why don't you make it easy for me to do? But the reality is you read the stories in the Quran, you find that people who prioritized Allah, it was never made easy initially. And sometimes never really easy in the grand scheme of things, but Allah gave them some interesting strength from out of nowhere that allowed them to be able to traverse and to be able to transcend whatever difficulty they were experiencing. So relative to their strength, it was easy. But from the outside, look at it, we're like, oh my goodness, right? I mean, look at you, look at Yusuf, look at his life. I mean, Yusuf lived a life that if, if, if you had to like document it, right, to make a movie out of it, I think there is. I wouldn't watch it. But anyways, if you had to, like, it would be like a tragedy. You know what I mean? I mean, I know tragedy, not technically because it ends happy. Spoiler alert. But it's it's horrific what he went through. I mean, he starts off, there's an assassination attempt from his brothers. I know some of you guys think that your siblings don't get along, but like, not that bad. None of them like drove you out to like, I don't know, Denton. <laughs> and like left you there, right? Might be worse than a well. I don't know, subhanAllah, right? You're like, you just throw me in a well in Dallas? Like, don't take me to Denton, right? Okay. They left them. They, they take him, leave him in a well. And, and then as he gets saved, saved, right, by these people, he thinks that it's his, oh, I'm saved. Like, they're going to, you know, save me, and, and I'm free now. I'm good. They sell him into slavery. And then eventually he has to move into the palace. Oh, fine, I'm living in the palace. But then he ends up, as the servant of the palace, right, he ends up being punished for a crime he never committed. In fact, he gets accused as the victim of a crime. He gets accused of being the oppressor, right, and has to go to prison. Ibn Abbas says for nine years. Some of us, oh, Yusuf went to prison a couple hours, and then he was bailed out. You know, his dad called. I'm probably Yaqub. No. He was in prison for 12 years. Ibn Abbas is between 9 and 12 years. 9 to 12 years, guys. What age are you right now? Add 12 years to that. That's what he lived through. And prisons back then, not like prisons now, right? Prisons now, horrific places, right? The the the, the industrial uh, prison complex of this country, right? Prisons for profit, all this stuff is horrific. But I want you to understand that like a prison in 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 Egypt, in the biblical Arabian times, is like, you know, gangrene and like, you know, the, you know those those images and, and movies where like the skeleton is up against the wall and it still has the shackle on its leg. It's a skeleton, but it's still in prison. Like even the death of a human and its and its bones being there, they're not like, ah, oh, take the shackle off, right? No, they're like staying. When we said life, we meant life. Yusuf is in that prison. 
and, and, and subhanAllah goes through over and over and over again. And, but you still see he never despairs in Allah. He never gives up. What is, why? Because although his tests never went away, Allah gave him the strength to endure. And that's sometimes what we need to think about, right? When we make dua to Allah, as a young person, Allah Ta'ala may not take away your tests, but he might give you something if you commit to him. Okay, let's go ahead and keep moving forward, inshallah. So we were on, I think, ayah number yeah, 11 and 12. So Allah Ta'ala caused them to fall asleep. And he says here in a cave for many years, for many years. Then he says, That then we raised them so that we may show which of the two groups would make a better guess or estimation of the length of their stay. Okay. So Allah here is summarizing now the entire story, kind of, right? We're going to dive into details after this, but he makes a very interesting point here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings this very interesting moment. He said that we caused them to sleep. And it was for a number of years. We later find out exactly how many years. But Allah, for the moment, is just saying, don't focus on that. Focus on this. Focus on the fact that these young people were caused to fall asleep, and then they were made to wake up. And then, after they were made to wake up, they went and they went and engaged with the people of the town, the same people, because what happened was these young men became like a legend. Right? I want you to imagine like a group of people that you see every day. They live in your town. They live in your city. All of a sudden, they disappear. No one knows where they went. You know that they didn't die because nobody had a, a, a you know funeral and a burial. So they just kind of disappeared. They would become, in a way, like a myth, legend. You know, like the legend of so-and-so. They just disappeared one day. These people became that. Ashab al-Kahf were like a legend amongst their tribe, their people, their town. So Allah Ta'ala caused them to raise back up, to become awake again, and go back to their people. And it's going to be 309 years later. So I want you to imagine like the people that we read about in history books from the 1700s. Imagine meeting one of them today. And not only that, but they have like evidence that they were actually, that they are that, they are that person. Imagine meeting someone from 300 years ago and they have like, like currency. Allah Ta'ala allows them to take with them their silver coins, their currency to show that this is who we this is who we are 300 years later. So the people in the town, they begin to like, oh my God, it's them, right? There's like a huge drama. There's like a huge commotion about these individuals. Now, why is it interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this? Why, why is it something that Allah ta'ala brings up here? What is so unique about this specific moment? Allah ta'ala says that we cause them to sleep for a long time. And then we woke them up. We let them go meet their people so that we could show them who these people really were. What do you take from that verse? Let's learn how to read Quran together. You read that verse and you're like, okay, what do you take from that? Every verse has something. Let's do some to them forth. Let's do some reflection. Give me something. Yes. Wow. That's really powerful. I had never even thought of that, subhanAllah. The, the, the men who left, at the time, they were making a very unpopular decision. But then later they became like legendary, right? They stood up to do what was right. They were the minority, extreme minority, but they did what was right according to their hearts and according to Allah. And at the time, everyone around them said, failure, mistake. But then over time, when things became apparent about the truth of worshiping Allah alone, these guys were legends. They became like celebrated. 
right? So the point, mashallah, that you make this is beautiful. This is exactly what the Quran is supposed to do. It's supposed to cause you, wow. So, so Allah is teaching me that if I make the right choice, even though now it feels like I'm alone, there will come a time when I won't be alone, right? I won't be alone. When history looks back on me, you know that they always say, which side of history do you want to be on? When they have these major moments in society and they're like, don't be on the wrong side of history. In a hundred years, kids are going to be reading in history books about the decisions that you made. Are you going to be the villain or are you going to be the, 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 the victor or like the protagonist? Those are the same ideas Allah Ta'ala is telling us here. You're going to follow your nafs and your desires to the point where when people read about your history, you're the one that made those bad choices. Like you really want to be Abu Lahab? Like Abu Lahab at the time never thought that he was going to be somebody that was disgraced. And now, if you meet someone, right, and, and, and you ask them what their name is, they say, Abu Lahab, you're like, Audhu Billah. Right? You would, like, lose it. <laughs> right? I hope that never happens. It's, it, there's a chance, because we just name people anything from the Quran. Tabbat yada Abi Lahab bin Watab. There's a... I'm not joking. There's a person I know. Okay, I can't say it, because they're probably watching. No, no, I can't ruin it. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, so <laughs> there's a surah in the Quran named Surah Al-Qari'ah. Okay. <laughs> Zachary was like, oh, good to see you, man. Sheikh, what does uh, Qari'ah mean? What is it referring to? Yeah. The Day of Judgment. This is somebody's name. It's a name for the Day of Judgment. Like, what's your name? My name is Qiyama. Right? Oh, my goodness. Right? I'm just waiting for Shaytan. No, no, I'm just joking. Inshallah, doesn't happen. <laughs> Look, we laugh, but we will cry one day. So the, the, the point being is that at the time, Abu Lahab did not think that he was in the wrong. Right? He did not think that. And what caused him to think that he was right was not the reality of his decision, but it was the, the numbers, people around him, right? He took a lot of comfort in what? In what society was telling him that this is correct. But as believers, we've never, ever been beholden to what society tells us. If what Islam teaches us, if what society, it's what popular in society is lines up with what our faith teaches us, that's great. You know what I mean? Like Islam teaches us to be of good character. And, and in most social situations, if you're a nice person, like, that's a great thing to do. You know, you're leaving the grocery store and there's somebody behind you who's elderly and they need some help and you hold the door open for them. And then they, you know, you help with them put their groceries into their car and then they drive away and you're like, oh man. And everyone, you know, people who see that, they're like, oh, this is, that was a great, no one's going to be like, boo, like, what are you doing, you nice person? No, you're going to be celebrated. If somebody sees that, they might even say like, thanks, that was really nice of you. And then you say what? Oh, yeah, you can say that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, you can say you're welcome. Right? Or you do what my mom does. So my mom is really interesting. May Allah bless our parents. My mom is really interesting. My mom, she she works, uh, she worked at a, at a hospital as a nutritionist, dietitian. And so she would always, you know, she would obviously like do her thing. And she won like seven years in a row. She won like the, the, the some like MVP award for her like, character. She was voted on by her peers as like the best employee. She beat out like doctors. Like physicians who are like saving people's lives. My mom is bringing up like fish with no salt on it to the patient's room and she wins, right? Somehow. So, what my mom did, she used to tell me this. I remember, she said, if anyone ever compliments you, right, 
try your best. Don't make it awkward, but try your best not to let them leave unless they know why you are the way you are. Right. So, for example, right. I had this thing my mom taught me. And again, I'm, I try not to make it awkward. And usually if you just smile, it's not awkward. Where if someone asks me for money, let's say that I'm walking and there's like a, a charitable cause. And I'm like, you please donate, right? Salvation Army or something. Uh, and I give some money. You know what I say? As I'm giving the money, as I'm like putting the cash in the thing, I don't let go. And I'm like, I, I just want to tell you that I'm Muslim and in my religion, like we're taught to be charitable, right? Because if I'm going to donate, I deserve 10 seconds of your time to give you da'wah, right? Like that's the, that's just the reality, right? And sometimes like the person's hand is also on the dollar bill. So we're like holding it <laughs> and we're just staring. And I'm like, Ashhadu. And you know, like, I'm just gonna let you know. Like, I just have to let you know, right? Cause I don't, look, especially for me, right? Being the Caucasian that I am, I don't always dress like this. I'm not just gonna give a walk in there like, oh, Kevin's so nice. No, like my name's Abdurrahman. And I want to tell you that I'm Muslim. And the reason I'm doing this is not because, like, I don't want a tax receipt. I don't want you to think I'm the cool guy. I want you to know that my messenger, Muhammad, taught me to do this. That's what I want you to know. And you know what? Like, have a good day. God bless. So my mom taught me this, right? And it's these moments that when, again, when what society appreciates is in line with what Islam has already taught us, we're good. But when what we know Islam is teaching us is standing and is being engaged and bumped into by what we know is not correct, right? That's something that the Prophet taught us that we don't sacrifice what we know to be true for something that is a trend anyways, right? So this is something that these young men, they displayed. They stood for what was timeless. They were principled and eventually time proved them correct. Time proved them right. Okay, what else? What else do we... Uh, uh, take from this? Why did Allah Ta'ala bring this up? Well, yeah. Go ahead. Mm, okay, good. They became an example. An example, like people were talking about them, it was all speculation. And they were, they were like the, again, the legends, like they were examples for these people, exemplars of what to do in the situation. One thing that's mentioned, kind of a combination of what both of you said. One thing that's mentioned in the tafsir specifically is that Allah Ta'ala will always bring forth the truth in any situation. The truth will become clear, even if it's a little bit later than you thought or that you hoped. But it will always arrive when it's meant to arrive. It will be there on time. Okay, not your time, but God's time. So here there is a dispute about whether or not these people even exist. Right. People are like, oh, no, they're not real. It's just a folk tale. And then, oh, you know, it's, they could never have been there for 300 years. They could have all these disputes about who these people were. Right. But then Allah Ta'ala is telling us what? That when you stick to your principles, you don't have to lie. The truth will become clear and manifest, even if you have to remain silent. Look at the story of Maryam. Maryam. And again, I don't think we can appreciate this really because it's very difficult, okay? Maryam comes from the family that she comes from, the family of prophethood. And she shows back up to her people with a child, and she's not married, okay? So the assumption that people make about her is that she committed adultery, that she fornicated. And they say, they call her and they say, Ya Why would you do this? You come from a good family. Right, calling her out. 
Allah didn't tell her to respond, even though she was very eloquent, right? She, Allah Ta'ala did not tell her to, to engage in any rhetoric. In fact, Allah told her the opposite. Be quiet. Don't say a single word. And just point at the child. Right? Now, when you point at the child, you're taking a big risk. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but children, babies don't talk. Right? So she's pointing at this child. And there's a there's kind of this like moment. And then Isa salam, Isa ibn Maryam, he says what? I'm the servant of Allah. You know, some of the tafsir about that moment, they say that the truth was so powerful that some of the people present in that gathering just walked away at that moment. Like they couldn't handle it. They were so convinced of what they saw with Betty and bringing a child in that when he spoke, they like, it was almost like they thought they were, they were dreaming. They left and they just sat there in a daze like, are you serious? The, the truth that Allah will bring will always, always bring what is right to light. You don't have to worry and stress over whether or not people believe you if you know that you're being true. You don't have to. There will come a time when all of that will be settled. And if, as long as you know what's right and you know that you're following that, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Now, at the same time, you don't say that, okay, well, you know, I'm going to allow people to imagine these things. And I know they're false and this and that. The Prophet ﷺ did teach us about setting your reputation straight. We know that, right? So we don't, we don't walk around and let people, oh, think what you want, right? No, no, no. That's, not, that's also the opposite extreme. One extreme is being hyper-concerned about what people think about us all the time, trying to like meticulously arrange our, our, the perception people have of us. The other side is I don't care. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that you do what you can, but then you don't lose sleep over it. You do what you can, but then you don't lose sleep. Okay? So Allah Ta'ala says what? Allah. Allah says, we relate to you, O Prophet. So this is now Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet ﷺ. Why are we telling you this story? Why are we telling you this story? We're telling you this story. Why? Number one, because it's the truth. And we want you to know that this is part of your history. This is your heritage. You need to know this story. Number two is that these young people, they taught everybody who's going to read this story. We now learn an important methodology in being guided. Who here wants to have guidance? Who here wants to be good with Allah? Who here wants to make the right decision with their faith? Everybody, right? Thank you for those who raised their hand. I know everybody does, right? Even those who are looking at their phone, they're like, yeah, okay? We all do. That's why we're here. Like, you want to live right. As a Muslim, you just want to live right. And honestly, even people who are not, well, they, everyone just wants to live right, okay? Eventually, at some point. Allah Ta'ala here is showing us now. He's giving us an equation. And if you read it too fast, you miss it. He says what? These were young people who believed in their Lord, and we increased them in guidance. Did you guys catch it? What did he say? After what? It's interesting. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a condition for your guidance. There's a condition. The condition is you have to show that you believe. You have to. I was actually just explaining this to Musa today. This is crazy. Musa goes, it's, look, Allah tests us precisely. You know what I mean by that? Like, you're not going to get someone else's test. Right. So I teach Aqidah, 
theology. And Musa, my son, is my test. I'm, I am so not joking. The fact that you keep laughing is insulting, right? No, no wallahi, wallahi, I, I kid you not. Make dua, because his mind is so inquisitive. His mind is so inquisitive that he asks these questions, and he asks them. It's unfair. It's actually unfair, okay? It's unfair because he asks questions in a language, and then I try to match it in my answer, and he's like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, you just asked it in that language. He goes, Baba, why does Allah not let us see him? Are you kidding me? How am I supposed to explain to a five-year-old why we can't see Allah? Where do I even start? So then there's like the classical answer, right? That Allah delays that and he's beyond perception. And you know, but then it's like Musa's gonna be like, okay, right? And and then there's the idea that in Jannah we will engage with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah, we will engage with him. Okay, so I had to delicately, this is literally at 540. You guys see why I look so tired right now? Because I literally had to like, like, it was like, you know, Musa was just, and he's staring at me, waiting for me to flinch, waiting for me to make a mistake so he can, right? Because he's a logical, he's like a grandmaster of chess already. And I go, Musa, I said, you know, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I said, um, he's different than us, you know? And I said, it's 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 like he he I, I literally was stumbling like this, and I said he's different than us. Like you can see me, you can see your sister, but you can't see Allah yet. But in Jannah we'll be able to talk to Allah. We'll be able to be with Him, and He tells us that we'll be able to see Him in a way. He goes, but why? So then I was trying to think, and I'm like racking my brain, and I said, okay, Musa has this thing where he hates it when you doubt him. If he tells you he did something. If you like for a second have any doubt, he gets really offended. Okay? So, like, for example, brushing his teeth at night. We're trying to teach him like do his own bedtime routine. And I'm sorry for the one guy who hates stories about my son. Okay, so <laughs> he <laughs> just it's never gonna end. You're probably from Denton. So he so he uh, so so Musa, so he hates that. Okay, so like at night, for example, we're like Musa, go get your pajamas on, whatever. He goes upstairs, gets changed. And then we're like, you know, did you brush your teeth? And he's like, yes. And he will, he will look at you to see that you believe him, that you acknowledge it. So if you say like, if you even so much as say, if me and Mehreen, if my wife and I say, like, are you sure? He's like, yes, he gets so upset. Like he wants you to accept him first, first statement, okay? And to be fair, mashallah, usually nine times out of 10, he actually did. But I use this example and I said, Musa, do you know how when you tell me you brush your teeth and you want me to believe you, you want me to trust you, right? He goes, yeah. I said, did I see you brush your teeth? And he goes, no, I did it in the room. I said, don't you want me to still to believe you though? And do you get upset when I say, are you sure? I said, if I went upstairs and looked at every bristle on your toothbrush, would you be upset? He goes, yeah, Baba, you should believe me. I said, that's what Allah wants from us. Allah wants a certain level of faith. That's the test. That is the test. Right? That's why the only time in which a person's uh, statement of faith will not be accepted is when? Is when the day of judgment begins. Because all of the speculation becomes definite. Right? 
when the sun rises from the west, no more shahadas are accepted. It's scary. Because why? No more, because at that point, it's like, oh my God, it's actually coming true. Right? We all thought dot, 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 question mark. But now it's exclamation point. And we're like, oh my goodness. So trying to, Allah Ta'ala here is explain to us the process. When you treat Allah like a transaction, guidance is never, ever going to be your profit. You're never going to get that from Allah. Many of us, we would flip it. We would say what? Allah guided them and so they believed. That's what sounds more logical. If we, if, if, if we were to write this sentence, we would say, these people believed because Allah guided them. Yes? yes. Sound like a logical statement? Thank you, brother. MashaAllah. Okay? But Allah is telling us that if you want guidance to make sense, you first have to have the foundation of belief. Makes sense. If you want to plant something beautiful, the soil has to be nice. How can I expect to be able to even understand the book of Allah and the teachings of his prophet if I don't even think that they're true to begin with? This is why you have individuals who are masters of the texts that we read they would sit here and look at everything we're reading and they can understand it grammatically, historically, you know, in tafsir, everything. They can understand it better than anybody here in this room. But they are obstinate rejectors of the faith that these texts belong to. What's the difference between a person who has that and a person who doesn't? One of those people has already submitted and the other hasn't. And if you don't submit, nothing you see will ever make sense to you in anything. But if you already have your mind made up, the best argument could be presented in front of you and you're going to say no. Right? So Allah Ta'ala here is saying these young people, what made them remarkable was that before they expected Allah to give them guidance, to allow them the benefit and the privilege of making the right choice, of doing the right thing, they first had to say, oh Allah, amen to billah. We believe in you. We believe in you. Right? Belief is not something that requires a lot of knowledge. It doesn't require a lot of math. Belief is something that a person arrives at when they ponder and reflect about the world and themselves. Like, why am I here? Many of the stories that you read, people who accept Islam, people who come to Islam, they will tell you that Islam is a confirmation of what they've already felt. This is a common, not for everybody, but a common idea. My father being one of them, right? He he says, when, when people ask, like, tell us your conference story. He's like, well, I was Muslim for a long time, probably. I always believed in this idea, this general idea. It was just when I came upon the Quran, it confirmed it, right? The belief was present, and so the guidance came. This is what Allah Ta'ala is teaching us. Many of us, we ask for guidance, but we don't actually strengthen that belief. We don't think about it. We don't ponder or reflect. The prayer is not there. The thoughts are not there. The dhikr is not there. And so the guidance is being held back, right? We asked Allah Ta'ala to give us, inshallah, strength in our belief, okay? So then he says, That he says, we strengthened their hearts. We strengthened their hearts and they stood up and they declared, our Lord is the heaven, the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We will never ever join you in calling upon any other God besides him. Otherwise, we would be committing an incredible lie. Okay? These young people, 
This is Allah Ta'ala now going back a little bit. He's rewinding the tape and he's showing us a moment of declaration of proclamation. That this is the moment that they declared what they actually believed in. So they they stood and they and they they gathered and they protected themselves in secrecy for a long while, and then eventually they proclaimed what their belief actually was. And this is something that again, many of us were in the situation, like how many of us would feel uncomfortable standing up and proclaiming our belief? Not necessarily like this, but in a way that was very definite. Anybody? Anyone here ever had like a moment of doubt about being honest about what you believe? Anybody? Nobody? Actually, you're a lot better than me. Absolutely. When people ask, like, how do you feel about something? Sometimes you have to be like, well, I first need to know how you feel about it before I tell you how I feel about it. <laughs> because if I tell you how I feel about it, you don't feel that way. It's going to be conflict. Exactly. Right. Right. It's going to at least be awkward. OK. Or something worse than that. So I at, at, there's many times where you actually have to, like, assess your own belief level before you feel comfortable kind of like right and someone else's. But you see, subhanAllah, this, this level of dedication in these young people. You see this another example. Their belief was so rock solid that when they could, right, they didn't have any doubt to say what they had to say. No compromises here. And some of the compromises that we make might be, I don't even want to call them compromises. They are maybe even built into the sharia. They're concessions that Allah has given us for the sake of our quality of life. What's an example of one of those? What's an example of something that it's not a compromise, but it's it's a concession that Allah has given you to make your life a little bit easier. We'll do on your socks. Good. By the way, love the fact that that's your first one. It's clear that that's like a deep one for you. Mashallah. And you're wearing socks. Okay, so right, yeah, exactly, exactly. For example, at work, okay, you're standing there. It's time to make wudu. You could just go ahead and rip the socks off and go full all toes on deck, right? Like deep scrub, right? You know what I mean? Josh walks in, you're like, stop, leave me alone, right? Make him a little. Like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm washing the sins off my feet. You could do that. That's fine, right? You may, he may not want to, he may request a cubicle move, right? Or like a department. But a lot in the Sharia, okay? Part of Islamic law is that if a person has wudu and they're wearing a sock that is, it fits the requirements, okay? This isn't like, I don't want people putting like a band-aid on their toe and being like, ah. <laughs> Thickness, size, etc. Okay, difference in them with that. But anyways, point being, ask your local imam. I'm not your local imam. Ask your local imam. <laughs> then you can wipe over your sock. Now, this isn't a compromise. It's not a person compromising their principles because they're still following what Islam says is okay, right? This is part of a quality of life, Okay. So those things are okay, okay? There's also the, the, you know, when you're traveling, for example. Like when I'm traveling and it's time to pray and I'm in an airport, I have to see where I am in the United States. I'm being honest with you. If I'm in Tennessee, Mississippi, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, you know, <laughs> anywhere that was south of Mason-Dixon, I'm probably going to wait and come out when I land in the north. You know what I mean? Like... But if I'm in Chicago, New Jersey, New York, Seattle, like any of these places, I'm calling the Adan. You know what I mean? <laughs> Again, this isn't compromise. This is me being, because I have been, uh, what's the word? <laughs> I have been 
not scarred. I had been pulled aside and had an extra meeting with security and all that after praying in a gate, right? It's happened a few times, but only in a specific part of the United States. So again, this is part of what Islam allows for us. So these are not compromises. I don't want us to think for a moment like, oh, like compromises are when a person purposely, knowingly, intentionally erases a part of the identity that makes who they are as a Muslim. To fit in, right? And it's 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 a really, really thin line sometimes. It's really difficult. I'll give one example, and I'm not picking on anybody here. I promise you, I'm not. But this is something that it's really, really important. And I think that we don't give it enough credit. Your name is very powerful. Your name is very powerful. Allah Ta'ala taught that the first thing he taught Adam salam was the names of things. Because it's how you identify them. If anyone, like how many of you have met somebody that you didn't assume was a Muslim until you heard their name? You're like, whoa. Like, what's your name? They're like, Naeem. You're like, Salam alaikum. Like, you know? They're like, excuse me? Like, I was coughing, right? And you're like, excuse me? It actually happened at the airport the other day. I was flying with my kids. My daughter's name's Iman. And I see this girl. She's checking the, the, the you know, my license and everything. And she asks, so part of it, they have to ask the kids, like, what's your name? They don't ask us. So, like, they ask the kids, like, what's your name? And she's like, Iman. And the lady's like, that's my name. And then I was like, are you Muslim? Are you Muslim? She goes, my dad is. And it like connected. Now I didn't I didn't dig further in part because I also had to leave, but also because it's kind of you know sensitive. Well, subhanAllah, like your name, like you should have seen the look in her. I mean, it was like emotional for her. Who knows what she saw? Like, who knows what where she was brought back to seeing a father and a daughter traveling? And then, like, when I was like, Oh, that's your name, are you are you are you Muslim? And she goes, My dad is. And I didn't dig any further, but I want you to understand the power of a name. Now I want you to think about all the times that you maybe, and hopefully not, but maybe felt ashamed or shy or embarrassed to fully represent your name in a moment because you felt like it would make you too much of an other, right? I mean, this is sensitive for me because this is like elementary school for me, right? And until this day, and I'll share with you something very, very honestly, like middle school and high school, I was Murphy. And then I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm Abdul Rahman. There's a hadith where the Prophet says that there are two names that Allah loves more than every other name Abdullah and Abdul Rahman. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Except for you, Abdullah. Right? And I, <laughs> and I want you to think about. The, the, I felt like I was committing spiritual treason by going around the name that Allah loved the most, right? Muhammad to Mo, very common. Saad to Sam, all these, why? Why, right? I want you to ask yourself, why do I feel like I can't, represent that name that might give a person an indication of who I really am.
instead of trying to just fly on the radar and let them be comfortable with who they want me to be. You see this level of faith and it's admirable. It is admirable, right? I mean, I, to be honest, there's levels to this stuff, right? Like when I travel, I'm, I'm flying tomorrow, inshallah. When I travel, like I try to be very, very incognito in terms of my dress. Mufti Kamani is full thobe and turban. Mufti Kamani is like always going to Hajj, man. Like he's doing the talbiya, like, you know, he's flying to New Orleans. He has zero reservations. No, seriously. I picked him up from the airport once. He was wearing a full thobe and a kufi, and he had every, and I pull up and I'm like, get in the car quick. <laughs> I'm like, aren't you afraid? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. Clearly, you don't get pulled to the side, right? I do. When, when I read when I read ayat like this in the Quran, where you see these people, right? The wife of Fir'aun, uh, you know, these Ashab al-Kahf, these people that just stand up for who they are and they proclaim without any apology. It makes me think about my own decisions. And again, we're not trying to cause problems. No one's trying to say, you know, like I, I always... Sometimes it gets too aggressive. You know, someone might pronounce your name wrong and you're like, how dare you? No, if they're trying, that's okay, right? Be human. What we're talking about here is not the mistakes that people make. It's the mistakes that we make for people, right? So Allah Ta'ala gave them that strength. Where did he give them that strength? What was the previous verse about? Belief and guidance. If you want to be strong in your faith, strong enough to say that this is who I am, strong enough to be a certain way, to live a certain way, to pray a certain way, to dress a certain way, to act. If you want to have that strength, because it all comes from strength of faith, then it comes from belief and guidance. That's why we say, oh Allah, guide us. Oh Allah, guide us. Oh Allah, never let our hearts go astray after you, but never let our hearts ever deviate after you've given us guidance. Because I could not imagine, oh Allah, being a person that looks back on the pictures of my phone two years ago and seeing someone who's closer to you then than he is now. That would break my heart. So Allah, don't let my heart deviate after I was guided. Allow me to not go down, but up in my guidance. And if I'm going down, I have to ask myself some very, very serious questions. Right? We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this. Okay? And then they are speaking to one another and they say, then they said to Allah Ta'ala tells us, they said to one another, these people of ours have taken gods besides him. Why do they not produce a clear proof of them? Who then does more wrong than those who fabricate lies against Allah? The next verse, since you have distanced yourselves from them and what they worship besides Allah, take refuge in the cave. Your Lord will extend his mercy to you and accommodate you in your affairs or in the moment that you have. So Allah Ta'ala here now is giving us again the playbook of what happened. Now this next verse is very interesting. Ayah number 17. Allah Ta'ala says, And you would have seen the sun as it rose, inclining away from the cave to the right as it set, declining away from them to the left while they lay in its open space. That is one of the signs of Allah. Whoever Allah guides is truly guided. But whoever he leaves astray, you will never find them to have anyone to guide them. Allah here is describing, I know those kind of numbers. Let me give you the TLDR of this, okay? 
Allah is describing an explanation scientifically of what was occurring with them for these 300 years. That Allah Ta'ala is describing by the directionality of the sun that as they were sleeping for these 300 years, he was causing their bodies to turn over and over. They were like basically living in a cycle. Okay. Some of the scholars actually wrote about this. They said, why is this important? Why is this something that is uh, uh, of worth mention? Right. What do you guys think? Why did Allah Ta'ala bring this up? Yeah. Yeah, actually, one of the scholars brought that up. They said literally because they might develop wounds, right? Very good, like bed source. okay? That's like the very, very, like, it kind of escapes your mind, okay? But go deeper. Why would Allah even bring this up in the first place? I mean, it's a miracle in and of itself, right? Sleeping for 300 years. Although I've seen some people <laughs> give it a run for its money, right? Okay? And the most tragic sleep story I've ever heard, you guys want to hear it? most tragic Ramadan the person was taking a nap uh, after Asr and they slept until Fajr given given these guys a lot of money I mean that's so they were like can I break my fast and I was like nope and I laughed right and I said I said what do you mean I said if you if you're about to faint you can but I said unfortunately your nap was Pretty good. Uh, yeah. So, tragic sleep story. Okay. But why would Allah have to explain? It's a miracle. Like, it's a miracle. Why is Allah giving us a scientific explanation for that? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Allah is present in the details of your life, not just the big picture stuff. Like, we, we think that Allah Ta'ala, like, when, when, you, when you talk to somebody who's very important, what's the first thing you say? When they're very important. First thing people say is like, I'm so sorry for bothering you. If you have time. I once heard someone make dua, I was so cute. Said, oh, Allah, I know you're busy. Allah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know you're busy. They were completely serious. This was not a skit or a joke. I was, it was Ronald Don, I was sitting there and I said, oh, Allah, I know you're busy. I'm like, it's actually a problematic thought to have, but it's so adorable because, because it's not, you know, it's kind of a lot. And by the way, when someone makes a mistake of sincerity, there's actually the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ said that one of the happiest moments that Allah Ta'ala has is when a servant was wandering the desert with his riding animal, his camel, and the camel escapes. And the person looks and looks and looks, can't find their camel. They sit in the desert and they say, you know what? It's been hours. This is it. I'm dead. Like, this is just it. I'm going to die here now in the desert. I have accepted my fate. It is death. And the person, as they sit and they lay and they close their eyes and they feel like they're breathing their last, all of a sudden they open their eyes and there's a camel looking at their face. <laughs> it's their camel, right? And the person jumps up and they're so excited and so elated that they make this statement, Oh Allah, you are my servant and I'm your Lord. It's in the hadith, right? But the hadith says they say this mistakenly out of what? Out of excitement. Like they're just so... They're, so, they're in such an adrenaline rush that they're like, right? And Allah loves that statement because the words themselves are obviously really bad. Yeah, they're backwards. But the heart didn't mean it that way. The heart meant what? Oh, Allah, you are my Lord and I'm your servant. I was like admitting defeat. And all of a sudden I got this 
beautiful camel staring at my face. Right? So look at what, subhanAllah, look in this moment. Sometimes we think to ourselves that Allah Ta'ala is too busy for us. He's got everyone to take care of. How is he going to hear my prayer? Allah is present in the brick and the mortar of your life. You know, the brick is like the big chunks, right? But the mortar is the stuff that keeps it together. Allah wants to hear about the intimate details. Look at how detailed Allah is in the preservation of these young men. If you do right by Allah, you will find even the smallest details present. I mean, these stories, they you definitely heard stuff like this. I guarantee you've heard stuff like this before. Go talk to people whose du'as were answered. We should, by the way, have an entire session where we just pause and talk about du'as being answered. It's one of the greatest experiences. I've had people tell me, they're not here so I can share this story, okay? Uh, this is my last story and then we'll wrap up. There is an individual that I know, two individuals, okay, that I know, uh, that when they were single, right? Spoiler alert, they're married. <laughs> when they were single, uh, they were from two very different parts of the country. They had no relationship with each other. In fact, one of them was not born into Islam. The other one was, but one was not. So fast forward now, okay? These two people live their own individual lives. They're just kind of like, you know, doing their thing. One person's here, one's there. And all of a sudden the ISNA conference comes around. Oh yes. <laughs> not the lobby, okay? The ISNA conference comes around. The brother in this particular scenario was the one who was not born into Islam. Now, he does a lot of reading, a lot of research. He has Muslim friends, and he decides he wants to accept Islam. Okay? Baby's losing it back there. Loves it, right? Okay, I'm sure <laughs> no, I'm just, I love it. I love it. Right? Baby's like, can't wait for the end. He decides to accept Islam. He decides to take shahada and accept Islam. So he does so at one of the sessions with the imam, with the sheikh, after the session is done. He, you know, they say there's a brother who wants to accept Islam. He goes up and does it. Okay? It happens. A few years later, that brother continues their studies. That brother continues his studies and becomes, mashallah, a, a, a scholarly and a, a incredibly, incredibly talented in Arabic and Arabic grammar to the point where he, right, uh, you know, non-Arab, is teaching at an Arabic institute in Jordan, teaching students how to read, write, speak Arabic. He's teaching Arabs how to speak, right? And he was not Arab when he was born. I just want you to understand this, okay? He mastered it, right? Now, this institute in Jordan is popular, and a lot of American students go there. So all of a sudden, one day, he's teaching class, and there's a classroom full of students in his class, and one of them happens to be the sister and the sister's in the class and they get to know each other. And she says that, you know, I like you. And they talk to each other's parents and mashallah, they end up getting their engagement and they end up, uh, you know, a year later or so getting married. As they're sitting in the marriage festivities, the conversation comes up about the brother's life. Tell us about your story. When did you come to accept Islam? He goes, oh, it's crazy. I was at an ISNA conference at this session. And that's where I took my shahada. It was the Imam Zaid. And the girl at that moment says, I saw that. I was there. You, that was you. Because again, he looked very different. 
that was you? And she said the exact date, exact time, the room number, that's my Shahada. You were present in my Shahada and now like eight years later, we're getting married, right? I want you to understand the level of detail with which Allah is involved in our lives. You look at these stories and you're like, and everyone here is like, okay, so I gotta go to Jordan now. <laughs> find my husband, right? You know, like, find my wife. You, all the guys are like, I gotta teach Arabic. Like, edif, ba, right? Sign up for my class. I want you to understand and appreciate the level of detail with which Allah Ta'ala is there in every person's life. This story, again, off the dome, I was just thinking about it. They're good friends of ours. It, it, this is compared to the amount of detail that Allah Ta'ala is available and present. And if you're honest about it, if you are truly honest about it, you will be able to even chart your own life and see that presence there. It's not that it's not there. It's that we're not observant enough to, to, to find it, to look at it. So this verse is one of those things. The other thing that the scholars say, and I'll close off with this, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accomplish his goal sometimes by means that are inexplicable and sometimes by means that are explicable, that you can't explain, and sometimes a combination of both. So in this, for example, it's not possible to explain scientifically how they, how they lived in slumber for 300 years. That is purely a miracle that is beyond human conception. But it's interesting because Allah subhanahu wa introduces layers to the explanation that teach us that there were explanations for certain elements of it, right? And the reason why these explanations exist is because we are naturally skeptical people. Like when you hear about 300 years, you're like, okay. But then a verse like this comes in and starts to explain how it was done. And you're like, oh, interesting. SubhanAllah, like that's right. And you guys may have heard of these things. They're called like the scientific miracles of the Quran. It's not that they're the scientific miracles of the Quran. They are miracles that Allah has produced. And parts of them are in fact explained by science. Okay. Parts of them. But we don't necessarily say that the Quran is a book of science. We just say that what? Allah Ta'ala explains his, mir his miraculous uh, you know, decree sometimes in ways that are completely and totally inexplicable. But he gives us like these nuggets of satisfying intellectual explanations so that we, our hearts become like softened and like, oh, wow, there is something, subhanAllah, very strong there. Yeah, exactly, mashallah. Okay, so we'll conclude here, inshallah, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the guidance of everything we've read from today's passage. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that confidence in our faith. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have that strength in our belief in Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that use our young part of our life for His sake uh, as a precursor to the later years. We ask Allah to allow us to be cognizant of all the details and all the miracles that He presents in our life, whether they are small, whether they are large, we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us the ability to witness them, to recognize them, and to thank Him for them. I mean, I mean, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Ashadamu la ilaha illa anthana sattakum wa tubulaik. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I'm leaving tomorrow, inshallah, for three weeks. Uh, so um, we're going to have, inshallah, better teachers next Monday and the Monday after. And then the third Monday is July 4th. So go enjoy uh, that time off. Uh, on a Monday with your family and your friends. Uh, but the next two weeks, inshallah, we are having artwork. So if you see my Instagram or something and there's pictures of me in Turkey, 
don't just not show up. It's still happening, okay? Um, and then inshallah, we're also gonna be adding this summer online sessions only, sessions that are online only, so that you can join them from wherever you are, whether you're here, obviously for the locals who are in Dallas, you're able to join uh, in person anyways, but for those who are watching online, uh, we're doing a lot more sessions online so that there can be more benefit, inshallah ta'ala, okay? Make dua, hopefully by the time I get back, we will no longer be sitting in this part of the building. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean, okay? Take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.